Welcome to Walker World's podcast. My name's Rachel and this is the place where we wander behind the veil to take a look at those little known and mostly forgotten urban legends and spooky stories from around the world. This is also the podcast where it's Halloween every day of the week. Imagine if you will that you found your perfect house, your dream house, the house where you want to have kids and raise a family. It sits in a tree-lined street with enough room for you any kids you have or any kids you're planning on having and any pets that you've acquired along the way. The air feels clear and you've managed to escape the rat race of the city and find that perfect space for your family. But as you take in your new property, you had no idea what lies ahead. Welcome to the tale of 657 Boulevard, Westfield, New Jersey. This beautiful grey colonial style house was bought by the Broadass family in 2014. Derek, his wife Maria and their children intended to move into the house once they'd done some much needed renovations. Westfield is generally described as being like Maybury, the picturesque setting for the American TV series The Andy Griffiths Show. Located 45 minutes from New York, Westfield has become the perfect place for families to settle. With its wide tree-lined streets and ample ground around each home, it really does look like the setting for a TV show or movie. It's the kind of place that you might find the McAllister family living shortly before they board a flight for Paris. But, like many picture-perfect towns, Westfield also appeared to have a dark side that wasn't seen by everybody who lived within its boundaries. For the Broadduses, buying 657 Boulevard was a dream. Maria had been raised in Westfield and their new house was just a few short blocks from her childhood home. Derek was the the senior vice president of an insurance company in Manhattan and after working his way up the ladder had a salary large enough to buy the $1.3 million house. With a wide expanse of lawn and steps leading up to a porch the house was just what they were looking for. Their children were already debating which of the building's many fireplaces Santa Claus was going to slip down on Christmas Eve. One evening in June 2014, Derek was just finishing up some of the renovations when he decided to check the mail. As they had only just moved in, there wasn't much mail bar a few bills and a white envelope with chunky black handwriting. The new owner was written on the front and inside was a typed note which read... Dearest new neighbour at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighbourhood. But that wasn't all that the letter writer had to say. It continued with, how did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s and my father watched it in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. What was even more terrifying was that the author had apparently already been watching the house. They were able to identify the family's minivan as well as contractors who were working on the building. The author continued by telling Derek that they'd already noticed how contractors were working on 657. 
Ominously, they told him that this was a bad move and that he didn't want to make the house unhappy. The letter writer had also noticed how Derek and Maria had been chatting to the neighbours while the children ran around with other kids from the neighbourhood. Creepily, the author asked if there were more children on the way. Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? The letter went on. Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. The writer also answered, or rather skirted around the answer, that the family were asking themselves. Who am I? the watcher said. There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am in one. Look at any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. The letter concluded with a suggestion that this message would not be the last. Welcome, my friends, welcome. Let the party begin. Followed by a signature typed in a cursive font. The Watcher. Night had fallen and Derek was home alone. He raced around and turned the lights off so that no one could see inside before he called the Westfield Police Department. An officer came to the house and read the letter. His response was, what the fuck is this? He quizzed Derek about his connections and whether he had any enemies before advising that construction equipment was moved away from the back windows lest the watcher throw it into the house. Derek raced back to his old house in another part of Westfield. The family had retained their old house until their new one was ready, but with all that was going on, neither Derek nor Maria felt much like moving. They were keeping their young children in the dark as to what was arriving in the mailbox. That night they wrote an email to the house's previous owners, John and Andrea Woods, and asked them if they'd received any strange letters and if they knew why the watcher had written. I asked the Woods to bring me young blood and it looked like they listened. Andrea Woods replied the next morning. A few days before moving out, the Woodses had also received a letter from the Watcher. The note had been odd, she said, and made similar mention of the Watcher's family observing the house over time. But Andrea said she and her husband had never received anything like it in their 23 years in the house and had thrown the letter away without much thought. That day, the Woodses went with Maria to the police station, where Detective Leonard Lugo told her not to tell anyone about the letters, including her new neighbours, most of whom she had still yet to meet, and all of whom were now suspects. Stressed by the development, the couple went on to high alert. Derek cancelled a work trip and Maria kept the children close by, more so when they were at 657 Boulevard. Their paranoia was running high and rightly so. Someone was watching them and they had no idea how long it had been going on for. Had this person been stalking them before they'd moved into the house? Had their purchase of 657 Boulevard been somehow influenced by their hidden letter writer? Were they, or more worryingly, their children now in danger? Some of the fears came to a head when Derek was giving a tour of the renovations to a young couple from the neighbourhood. 
he froze when the wife commented that it would be nice to have some young blood in the neighbourhood. Two weeks after the letter arrived, Maria stopped by the house to look at some paint samples and check the mail. She recognised the thick black lettering on a card-shaped envelope and called the police. Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard, the watcher wrote. The workers have been busy and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time, they will. The broadasses were rightly affrighted by the letter. And it was just one, in a, one of many tipping points. The watcher had obviously been close enough to overhear their names and even though they had spelled their surname incorrectly, they had managed to catch Derek and Maria's Christian names. Even more terrifying was that the watcher had been able to identify the children's nicknames and how often they had been used. They had also spotted an easel being used by one of the children inside the house and asked if that child was the artist of the family. They continued by saying how pleased they were with the young blood that had been brought into the house. Yet the next portion of the letter was just as creepy. 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have they found all of the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedroom facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the watcher and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, broad-ass family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard. And now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. The watcher noted that the boulevard, the wide tree-lined street that the Broadass's new house was located on, was the place to live. An area so desirable that it had caused bidding wars between friends who had become enemies once the bidding eclipsed £30,000 over the asking price. 657 Boulevard was built in 1905 and at the time would have been the grandest house on the block. That couple with the stories of houses selling for hundreds of thousands over their asking prices led Derek and Maria to believe that the watcher was someone who may have once tried to purchase the house and possibly lost out due to inflated prices. But the former owners of the house, the Woodesses, 
said that the two previous buyers had backed out for a variety of reasons, including a medical diagnosis and finding another house. Andrea Woods suggested that the mention of the children's names and the contractor trucks meant that the watcher was someone in the neighbourhood, someone who was close enough to be able to monitor the house by day and night. At the time they were renovating the house, they were living with Maria's parents. They installed a new alarm system and Derek priced up trained German shepherds. He even went so far as to advertise for former military personnel to work in and around the house. Nothing strenuous, he said, just tidy the garden while keeping an eye on the building. Yet the family wanted to live in the house, not a fortress. They hadn't bought 657 for it to become a nightmare. The new house was supposed to be a dream, a place for them to raise their family and to live in peace and quiet. Yet it seemed this dream was never meant to be. While all of this was going on, the watchers seemed to be getting more and more unhinged, with their next letter reading like something out of a horror novel. 657 Boulevard is turning on me, they said. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on me? It used to be my friend and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will, I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and leave it alone. But despite the money they were sinking into their now nightmare home, the Broadduses would never live there. Six months after the letter arrived, they placed the house back on the market. They told only a handful of close friends about the letters, while keeping others at bay by telling them that they couldn't move into the house because of legal issues. Both Derek and Maria became depressed. Following a routine doctor's appointment where she burst into tears, Maria went to see a therapist. 657 was initially on the market for more than Derek and Maria had paid for it. This was to reflect the renovations that they'd made. But all too soon they realised that the asking price was too high. As with any small town, rumours began to circulate about why the house was standing empty. One real estate agent had called to say that her client had loved the house, but was put off by the rumours that were flying around. These rumours included a sexual predator and a stalker. In a way, the rumours were partially based on fact. The watcher was a stalker, seemingly keeping a close eye on the house and whoever stood within its walls. Despite reservations from their estate agent, the Broadduses decided that they would partially disclose the letters. Anyone who put in a bid at their asking price would be able to read the letters in their entirety. Several offers all came in, but were well below the asking price. At that point, Derek and Maria weren't ready to lower the price. They still believed that their renovations and time spent on the building warranted the extra money. Derek and Maria thought about what they would have done had the previous owners told them about their letter from the watcher. The, Wood the Woodses, both retired scientists, told the Broadduses that they remembered the letter they received as more strange than threatening, thanking them for taking care of the house. They say they had never had any issues. We certainly never felt watched, Andrea told them. They rarely even locked the doors.
But the Broaduses felt the name alone was ominous enough to merit mentioning to a new family moving in. And on June 2nd, 2015, a year after buying 657 Boulevard, they filed a legal complaint against the Woodises, arguing that the Woods should have disclosed the letter just as the fact that water sometimes got into the basement. The Broaduses say that they hoped to reach a quiet settlement. Their kids still didn't know about the watcher and their lawyer assured them that, at most, a small legal newswire might pick up the story. We do some creepy stories, Tamron Hall said on the Today Show a few weeks later. This might be top ten creepy. A local reporter had found the Broadus' report which contained snippets of the Watcher's letters. The Broadus' tried to seal the story, but it went viral. News trucks parked outside of the house and the family got more than 300 media requests. They decided not to speak publicly after a crisis management consultant advised them not to. Their children still didn't know about the letters nor the watcher and any media attention would break the story to the children before Derek and Maria could. Whether it was at school or on the way home or while playing in the backyard, if the story of 657 was on the news then the kids would find out sooner than Derek and Maria wanted them to. Eventually, Derek and Maria sat down with their children to explain the real reason why they hadn't moved into their new home. The kids had plenty of questions. Who is the watcher? Where does this person live? Why is this person angry at us? To which Derek and Maria obviously had very few answers. Can you imagine having that conversation with a five-year-old, Derek told, said. Your town isn't as safe as you think it is and there's a boogeyman who's obsessed with you. It was at this point that the internet became involved. The internet loves a good mystery and the watcher had everything that any armchair sleuth could wish for. Random letters written by an unknown hand, mystery, fear, intrigue and the terror of the unknown drew people in like moths to a flame. Suspects included a jilted mistress, a spurned real estate agent, a local high schooler's creative writing project Guerrilla marketing for a horror movie and mole goths having fun. Some people just thought the Broadduses were wimps for not moving in. I would never let this sicko stop me from moving into a house. Never back down from a terrorist, which irked the Broadduses. None of them have read the letters or had their children threatened by someone they didn't know, Derek said. To decide whether this person's only nuts enough to write these letters and not to do something, what if something did happen? In Westfield, people were understandably on edge. No one truly knew what was happening, and the presence of the media only added to the unknown. Laurie Clancy, who teaches piano lessons in her house behind 657 Boulevard, told me, said that one of her students came for a lesson shortly after news of the watcher broke and started crying. She was terrified to walk down the boulevard, Clancy said. At the first Westfield Town Council meeting after the letters became public, Mayor Andy assured the public that the watcher hadn't been heard from in a year and that even though the police hadn't solved the case, their investigation had been exhaustive. Those who lived in the area surrounding 657 were surprised as none of them had heard from the police. With attention growing, Baron Chambliss of 
veteran detective for the Westfield Police, was asked to take a look at the case. He said that he believed the broadest to be victims and that they hadn't received the support that they needed. Chamberlain knew his colleagues had looked closely at Michael Langford. According to his brother Sandy Langford, Michael had been diagnosed with schizophrenia as a young man. He sometimes spooked newcomers to the neighbourhood when he did strange things, like walk through their backyard or peek in the windows of, of homes that were being renovated. But those who knew him said that the odd things he did were mostly just unusual neighbourly kindness. He goes out and gets newspapers for me every morning, said John Schmidt, who lives next door. Yet people who had known Michael for decades said that he was incapable of writing the letters. Even though the watcher hadn't been heard from for a year, tensions were still running high. People wanted answers as to who was stalking their idyllic little neighbourhood. Chamberlain took a deep dive into the case and made some interesting discoveries. One was that the investigators had done DNA tests on the letters and discovered that the saliva used to seal them belonged to a woman. Chamberlain decided to take a closer look at Abby Langford, Michael's brother. Sorry, Michael's sister. She worked as a real estate agent and Chamberlain wondered if she was upset at having missed out on a sale. He arranged for a security guard to steal her water bottle but discovered that the DNA was not a match for hers. Much to Derek and Maria's dismay, the Langfords were dropped as suspects. Derek and Maria were stunned as they had planned to file civil charges against the Langfords and wondered if the the prosecutors were lying in order to stop the story from blowing up again. If you've ever seen Hot Fuss, by this point you'll definitely be getting some if you want to be a big cop in a small town, fuck off to the model village vibes from Westfield. Small towns, especially picturesque ones, are notorious for wanting to protect their image at any cost. With no suspect to prosecute, the Broadduses reopened their personal investigation. With their neighbours part of the pool of suspects, Derek and Maria were unwilling to say anything that could compromise their investigation. However, they did spend an afternoon walking the neighbourhood with one of the watchers' handwritten envelopes in the hope that someone would recognise the handwriting from a Christmas card. The only encounter of note came from the son of an older man who lived behind 657. The son joked that the watcher sounded a lot like his dad. A neighbour across the street was the CEO of Kroll, the security firm. And the broader the broadest hired the company to look for handwriting matches, but they found nothing. They also hired Robert Leonard, a renowned forensic linguist and former member of the band Shanana, who didn't find any noteworthy overlap when he scored the local online forums for similarities to the watcher's handwriting. Although he did think the author might watch Game of Thrones. Jon Snow is one of the watchers on the wall. At one point, Derek persuaded a friend in tech to connect him to a hacker willing to try breaking into Wi-Fi networks in the neighbourhood to look for incriminating documents, but doing so turned out to be both illegal and more difficult than the movies made it seem, so they didn't go through with it. The police were also back at square one. They asked Andrea Woods for a DNA sample and permission to interview her 20-year-old sup. 21-year-old son, who was shocked to find out that he was a suspect. It was at this point that something interesting came to light. 
Around the same time that the Broadusses had received their first letter, another on the family on the boulevard got a similar note from the watcher. The parents of that family had lived in their house for years and their kids were grown, so they threw the letter away just as the Woods had. But after the news broke, one of their children posted about it on Facebook, but then deleted the post. When investigators spoke to the family, they confirmed that the letter had been similar to the Broadus's, but its existence only made the case more confusing. There isn't a whole lot to go on, Chamberlain said. One evening, while watching the house, Chamberlain and his partner observed a car pull up in front of 657, long enough for them to become suspicious. He traced the car back to a woman who lived in a nearby town and whose boyfriend lived on the same block as 657. The woman told Chamberlain her boyfriend was into some really dark video games, including, in Chamberlain's memory, one in which he was playing as a specific character, called the Watcher. As for the female DNA, Chamberlain figured the girlfriend or someone else could have helped. The boyfriend was living elsewhere at the time, but Chamberlain said he agreed to come in for an interview on two occasions. He didn't show up either time. Chamberlain didn't have enough evidence to compel him, compel him to appear, and with the media attention dying down, he dropped the case and moved on. While Derek and Maria were consumed by fear, 657 Boulevard became little more than an urban legend to the residents. A tale to tell on cold, dark nights with a house that people dared one another to walk by. A neighbour mentioned that when the news of the watcher broke, herself and several of the residents gathered in the street to discuss the case. All of them came to the same conclusion. Had the Broadusses written the letters themselves? You see, prior to the Broadusses buying 657, other occupiers had never had anything unusual happen. The only other people to have received a letter from the Watcher were the Woods. And they'd only reported a single letter. So were the Broadusses going through buyer's remorse and looking for a way out? Maybe they bought a house they couldn't afford. Over the course of a decade, the Broadusses had moved from a $315,000 house to a $770,000 house. And finally, to 657 Boulevard, which had cost them $1.3 million. Had they overstretched themselves and were looking to get rid of the house? But why write the letters if they were? Surely putting a freshly renovated house in a desirable area back on the market would have been the best outcome. Residents concluded that Derek and Maria were trying to drum up interest in the house and that creating the watch would be the best way to go about grabbing the interest of potential buyers and subsequently the media. They also speculated that the Broadusses may also be looking to get a movie deal from the house, perhaps to make back some of the money from buying 657 or to cover other unknown debts. Because the mortgage on the house plus the renovations had not come cheap and people wondered what else Westfield's newest family were hiding. However, the police had tested Maria's DNA and said that it was not a match for the watcher, but that didn't calm the town's already established residents. Many, including some of the town's police force, didn't buy anything that the Broadusses said, including that they lived in America, <laughs> making the jump between previously priced houses was normal. Between variously priced houses was normal, sorry. 
Residents found that their desire to remain anonymous and not go public with the letters to be suspicious. For many, they believed that the family were trying to scam the previous owners for millions of dollars. The Broadduses hadn't known then how their neighbours would react to news about the watcher, but while they were new to Westfield, they had lived in and around the area for a decade, and Maria's family had been part of the community for much longer, so it was shocking to find themselves being accused of being con artists. To Derek, it seemed that some in Westfield preferred the conspiracy theory to considering whether their town might be home to a menace. There's a natural tendency to say, I've lived here for 35 years, nothing's happened to me, Derek said. What happened to my family is an affront to their their contention that they're safe, that there's no such thing as mental illness in their community. People don't want to believe that this could happen in Westfield. Maria has fond memories of her childhood in Westfield. This is except for one particular incident when resident John List infamously murdered his wife, mother and three children in their home and remembers a period when she and other kids were warned to look out for a strange van driving around town. My mother always told me, don't have a false sense of security, she said. It wasn't that bad things were going, going on all the time, it was that bad things happened everywhere. She didn't want me to think that this was Maybury. Are those hot fuzz vibes growing stronger yet? If you're feeling like you're in a small town, then you'd be right, because many residents were worried that the Broadduses would ruin the town's reputation. Some were worried about arson, vandalism, and whether the family would take care of the lawn. They did, by the way. (coughs) A local town council representative said that the concern he heard the most was that property values would drop and that a stigma would hang over the tiny town. Would the watcher remain if the Broadduses moved on? And who would the watcher's next target be? Not only were they outcasts from 657, but they were also outcasts in Westfield. Derek wanted to leave Westfield, but Maria wanted to stay for the sake of their kids. She said that the watcher took so much from them and she refused to allow them to take any more. Two years after the watcher's letters arrived, the Broadduses borrowed money from family members to buy a second home in Westfield, using an LLC to keep the location private. But staying in town was stressful. The first time Maria let her daughter go to the pool with friends, she stared at the tracker on her daughter's iPhone the whole time. One of the kids was in language arts class when the the teacher led a debate about whether the family in a book they were reading should move to Westfield. The class thought they should, in part because of how safe it was. Afterwards, one of the kids told the Broadus' child, My parents told me that no matter what your family says, Westfield is safe. The case against the Woods was pending and unlikely to succeed. All the while, the Broadus' were sitting on 657 and unsure of which way to turn next. Finding a buyer was proving difficult as people only wanted to see the house in order to learn about the letters. No one was forthcoming in actually wanting to purchase the property. One suggestion was to demolish the house and sell the land for apartments or a pair of smaller houses. Derek looked into renting the house before it was finally returned to the market in 2016. Neither idea panned out for a number of reasons, either because of the rumours or because of pressure from residents. While some expressed sympathy with the Broadduses, many locals didn't want the house destroying and replacing with buildings which may not fit into their beautiful little town. Others were still convinced that what was happening to the Broadduses was part of their rumoured long con. 
The proposal to have the house destroyed and the land sold was subsequently rejected after a long hearing that involved the opinions and testimonies of local residents. 657 would be staying. However, with the house back on the with the house back on the market, the family set about, well, marketing it to potential buyers. The open house that they held for 657 was well attended and the Broadduses spent hours poring over the guest book as they tried to match handwriting to that of the watcher. Alas, no matches were f- came from it and they found themselves back at square one and trying to figure out exactly who their mysterious letter writer was. One potential buyer even believed that the Broadduses would reduce the price of the house because of the letters and that he would be able to get a house in such a luxurious location for a fraction of the cost. By this point, the Broadduses were in financial dire straits, which only added to the rumours that they were behind the letters. Not only were they paying the mortgage on the million-dollar house, as well as the renovations, they also, by this point, paid $100,000 in Westfield property taxes. Another 100000 had gone on investigating the watcher. They'd also had the house blessed by a priest, Father Michael, who went on to comment how many people had come up to him to tell him that they believed the situation at 657 was a hoax by the Broadduses. Not long after the planning board's decision, the Broadduses got some good news. A family with with grown children and two big dogs, had agreed to rent 657 Boulevard. The renter told the Sun Ledger he wasn't worried about the watcher, though he had a clause in the lease that let him out in case of another letter. Two weeks later, Derek went to 657 to deal with squirrels that had taken up residence in the roof. The renter handed him an envelope that had just arrived. Violent winds and bitter cold to the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. The letter came two and a half years after the watcher's initial letter. It was dated February 13th, the day the Broadduses gave depositions in their lawsuit against the woods. <coughs> you wonder who the watcher is. Turn around, idiots, the letter read. Maybe you even spoke to me, one of the so-called neighbours who has no idea who the watcher could be. Or maybe you do know and are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. The letter was less stylish and more wrathful than the others and it seemed that the writer had been closely following the story. They had seen the media coverage. I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighbourhood and mocked me. Derek's investigatory efforts. I watched as you watched from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars were wonderful inventions. And the attempt to tear down the house. 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates, the letter read. My soldiers of the Boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the watcher. The renter was mentioned. He was spooked but agreed to stay if the Broadduses installed cameras around the house and the letter indicated revenge could come in many forms. Maybe a car accident, maybe a fire, maybe something as simple as a mild illness mild illness that never seems to go away but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet, loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash. 
bones break. It was like we were back at the beginning, said Maria, but it also meant fresh evidence that might help invigorate the investigation. Derek took the letter to police headquarters where a detective looked at a neighbourhood map and traced a circle around the house 300 yards in diameter, suggesting the watcher must be somewhere in there. Derek drew on much closer. In my view, it's one of ten houses in the world, he said. The Broadusers continued to press the case, but there still wasn't much for law enforcement to go on. And it was possible to look up and down the street and see the watcher in practically anyone. Residents mentioned a teenager whose father had grown up around the corner and a man who sometimes walked around the neighbourhood while playing a flute. An elderly couple behind the house had been there 47 years. The husband was the man Bill Woodward had seen in a lawn chair looking at the Broadus's house. One of the kids had married a man who grew up in, of all places, 657 Boulevard. But these were bits of information that could mean everything or nothing, depending on how hard you looked at them. The Broadus's sent new names to the investigators whenever they found something odd, but their greatest fear was that the watcher could be someone they would never suspect. 657 Boulevard finally sold in July 2019, five years after the Broadus's originally bought the property. Its asking price of $1.125 million was dropped to $999,000 in May 2019 before the house finally sold at a loss for $959,000. There's no information on the family who live there, nor have there been any more letters from the watcher. So who was the watcher? No one is sure. The half a decade long police investigation came up with no solutions and seems to have left more questions than answers. While the watcher has now been relegated to the, to the depths of urban legends, there are still some people who believe that the Broadusses were behind the whole affair. Maybe they were. Maybe they were so desperate to get rid of the house and the money that was involved that they created an elaborate scheme that sadly, for them, took on a life of its own. Or maybe, just maybe, the watcher was real. Maybe they were a neighbour, someone who could spy on the family from the comfort of a window. Whoever the watcher was, they now seemed to be silent, and 657's new family seemed to be living in peace and solitude, away from both the eyes of a local spy, the neighbours the internet, and the world's media. Thank you so much for listening to Walker of Worlds podcast. If you'd like to find us online, you can find us on both Facebook and Instagram at Walker of Worlds podcast. If you'd like something interesting and unusual to read, please feel free to visit my website, www.roswellpublishing.co.uk. Again, thank you for listening. And until next time, Stay spooky.